Good morning, Terranova Church, North Adams. Pastor Ed from Terranova Troy here. Good to be with you today. We're going through a series on Advent, the anticipating the, the arrival of the Lord, the promised Messiah. And we're talking about the names of God. And, and this week we're going to talk about the name, the Lord God, your healer. And, and so as we go on, here's the roadmap for today. We're first going to talk about the name itself and, and what's in that name. Then we'll talk about the failure of faithfulness to pursue what God promised would come with following after that name. And then finally, the faithful commitment of our Christ in that name. So let's pray together before we begin. Gracious Father in heaven, we ask that as we hear your word where, wherever we are, and we recognize, Lord, there are some of us who have gathered, some who are watching electronically, but Lord, you know each, you know all of our states, you know the end from the beginning. None of this is a surprise to you. And so Father, we ask that you would work in hearts to help us to know you better and to call out to you as who you are because of our time together looking at your names. We ask this in Christ's name and for his greater glory. Amen. In Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, it's Juliet who has that famous line, what's in a name, that which we call a rose by any other word would smell as sweet. As she's trying to talk her lover into abandoning the, the dynamics and pressure of the family who's trying to, to keep him from joining her. And yet the Jewish mindset about naming is very different than just dismissing, no matter what you call it, it would be the same thing. Naming is very important in that culture. Consider even the creation where God makes Adam. He creates all these animals and then has Adam name all these animals that he said you have dominion over. See, naming implied um, a sense of ownership, an owning not just of the possession, but of understanding, of, of knowing and being able to classify that thing. This is why the, the Jewish people didn't want to say the name of God. It would imply something that they knew they didn't mean theologically, that, that God was ownable, that you could both have authority over him and understand the, the very depths of God. And so they would reduce the name to just the consonant letters without vowels, the tetragrammaton, Yahweh, Y-H-W-H. If you looked at Jewish writings today, if you saw newspapers or read certain theology books, you would see they still do this with G hyphen D, so that no one would even accidentally say the name. In discussion, Orthodox Jews will refer to him as Hashem. Literally, it translates to the name. But there's a danger that goes along with that reverence. It could become very easy to become so distant from the name, not saying it, not approaching it, that in that distance, you would lose understanding. You would lose closeness. You would lose intimacy. And so God takes it upon himself to give names to the people. They, they helped give light to the great distance that exists between man and God. It, it's that light that then gives shape and allowed recognition of their God. God takes what's undiscoverable to us, his very nature, and reveals it to us so that we can respond. It, it's the very essence of who he is, taking what we can't know of him and calling it by name. 
It's not uncommon in the Bible, it's littered throughout, even if not a particular name, it's, it's the names by which he describes himself by analogy. The, the strong tower, the warrior, the shepherd, the, the gardener tending a vineyard, the father, the light, the bread, the open door. All pieces meant to teach us about the one we don't know enough to say we own and understand. But by analogy, we begin to see him and he takes shape and piece by piece, name by name, we see the form of our God. And so today's passage, as you heard read earlier, the name is the Lord, your healer. And there's a continued journey to knowing that name, not just by hearing it, but knowing it by experience. Verse 22 tells us in that journey, they had left by the Red Sea. So that gives us a context of what happens. They, they've been delivered recently from Egypt. Remember, they were a slave people for 400 years. And God, by his promise and his deliverer Moses, calls them out of Egypt. He, he submits Egypt to terrible plagues that show that God is in control, not their gods. They had a God for basically each one of those plagues of the natural world that were given. And, and the people are pushed out by the people who claim to own them and diminish them to that place of slavery. But instead of it being a constant great joy, it's almost immediately that people begin to worry that God won't really care for them. In other words, they don't know him enough to trust him. Look at Exodus chapter 14, verses 11 through 14. It says this, They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you seem to see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. See, from their own perspective, almost immediately after leaving the bondage of slavery, with the Egyptian armies pursuing them, they felt that they had no option. In and of themselves, they knew we can't defeat that army. What once held us will hold us again if there's only us and them. They've begun to do something that we can do as disciples that is a grave mistake. We begin to tell the story with God edited out. And if it's a story with just us, it always ends badly with our limits keeping us from what God would call us to, with our nature keeping us where we are bound in sin. It says in verse 23, that they grumble again, like bored, irritated, petulant children on a long car drive. Now the complaint isn't, why'd you bring us out here to die? But the complaint in today's text was, we're thirsty and there's no place we can get water. And it becomes a different story because Moses prays. See, Moses includes God in the story. If the story is just us, it always ends in ashes and dust. We are limited, mortal, failed beings. But if the story is of God, it's a story of perpetual glory. And Moses calls out to God and God shows him what to do. Take a piece of wood and throw it in and the water that was once undrinkable would have caused disease is now healthful for them. And God makes them the promise. And they find themselves led by God now 
to, to an oasis where there are 12 springs, one for each of the tribes, and 70 palm trees. It's, it's idyllic. They're no longer lost in the wilderness, wondering what's going to happen. They have enough water. And on top of that, they have restful, shady places. But the promise is conditional. Look again at verse 26. If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. Now, now you might think, well, that's clear and easy. Now we know what to do. We, we just follow after God. What he's revealed, we just consistently do. And it seems easy on paper, and you, you might even believe that for yourself. But that's not at all how Israel behaves. The complaining and unfaithfulness seems to be a part of their character. And, and the props can change, and the players can change. But the nature of the people of God doesn't. We're, we're a mixed people, called by God, seeking to follow him. But as soon as we try to follow without the power of God, we don't have the, follow, the power to execute those plans. And so there are failed commitments on the part of the people of Israel. What will become of those who are called to the Lord their God, their healer, only if they diligently, constantly obey? Look at Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. From Mount Hor they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. So the people are in the wilderness. This is a classroom for them. It's, it's a place where God has taken away all that would be a distraction. It's just them and the Lord and the path he's called them to in the wilderness. And now constantly it's on display that it's the problem within them. Sometimes they, like us, don't tell ourselves the truth about situations. Did you notice that in the passage where it said the people began to cry out, said there's, there's no food and no water. And yet they say we loathe this worthless food. See, there was food. In the wilderness, God had given the people manna upon them. There was a bread from heaven miraculously provided that would allow them to live. But that now became something that they were so familiar with that they began to despise. They got used to it. How many times the people of God can get used to the very presence and power and path of God and say, oh, enough of this. There's no good way. We want something else. We have to be people who tell ourselves the truth about God's plans and provision and who he is. So we, we discount when we have no hope God's ways, when we feel he can't possibly bring us where he said. We have no real growth when we discount God's provisions for us and learning to rely on him. And certainly we have no healing if we don't follow diligently on what he's called them to. 
So the serpents enter into the camp and they begin to bite and the toxins are flowing through the blood of the people. Remember, these serpents were sent by the Lord. Our difficult circumstances are not something the Lord has missed. Too many times we make that story just about us by editing God out when there's difficulty. Well, God's left us here. God has abandoned us. God doesn't see me in my suffering. Surely he does. It's just one more lie we can tell ourselves, that it's an accident we got here, that God has tunnel vision or he's too busy. But there is no accident with God. There's no surprise with the one who knows the beginning from the end. The difficult circumstances, in fact, are the very places he wants to place us sometimes to teach us reliance on him. The pivot point becomes prayer. First, they're complaining to Moses, and then when suffering comes in, they realize they need prayer, so they petition Moses to pray to God for them. They, they bring God back into the story. What a turning point so many times when we're just left with our own toxic complaining, our own toxic faithfulness, just to say, Lord God, I don't know anymore, but I'm in a place that is miserable. Would you please help me to see you again? And so God answers in a way that for many may seem odd. Construct the serpent and put it on a pole and let people look to be healed. But this isn't a violation of the Ten Commandments given at Sinai. He's not saying worship this. This isn't like the golden calf. He's not assigning his name to it. This is a visual lesson. There was a period of time where I read poetry in punk rock clubs and, well, it's not something I'm particularly proud of, but was a, quote, performance artist. And, and I see God doing that here, taking these emblems, and they mean something more. The object of their suffering is now lifted up, fixed, under God's control. High above, under the canopies of heaven, it looks small now. And when you look upon that, the object of your suffering now tamed on a stick under heaven, you will be healed. It becomes like the lesson they had to learn during the Exodus when they were afraid of Pharaoh's army. Their role is not to treat things. Their role is not defenses against snakes. Their role is you have only to be silent. Look and live. Find deliverance. They failed in their own faithfulness, but it never changed God. He was just as he told them. The Lord who is their healer. And there were future lessons in this as well. Not just for those lessons for those people in the wilderness, but for future people who would follow after Jesus. The idea that they could just follow themselves has now gone out the window. That they could get through the wilderness on their own has gone out the window. That somehow moving backwards and going back to where they once were would be better than where they all has gone out the window. It's as crooked now the path they follow and we follow as the wandering in the wilderness. Sometimes two steps forward, one back, or one forward, two back. But the constancy is this. God keeps calling them, the God who's taught them his name, to greater intimacy. Not, not just to be people who understand what the word of God says, but who understand the God of the word who said it. The lessons remain for us, for God and his people. In the New Testament, Jesus will call his 12 disciples, just like 12 tribes were following after God then, and, and they'll live the similar way. At moments, they, they seem to be outstanding and follow Jesus and learn and heal and are thriving what we'd expect, the, the, the first round draft picks, right? These are the 12. But later, at different moments, he's chastising them, correcting them, calling them faithless, calling them out for arguing over who's ranked where and who's doing what in the kingdom, and even telling them and calling them out for denying Jesus. If that's how the best, those first round draft picks behave, what, what hope do we have? Well, in and of ourselves, we, 
we have only this hope, that broken people, and that's what sin does, it, it breaks us. As sure as the serpent's poison, it toxifies us, it damages us. There's no way for us to find a solution for it, but broken people can find the Lord their healer. Broken people can see the end of themselves, can see the cracks and weaknesses, and find someone who can show them more. That's what Jesus did with Nicodemus, who was a teacher of the law. He would have known the passages in Exodus and Numbers that we've talked about well. And when he comes to Jesus to seek understanding, Jesus begins to take him from a greater journey of just knowing the word of God to knowing the God of the word. John 3, 14 through 16 says this in that dialogue between Jesus and Nicodemus. Jesus says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. He's telling them just like Moses did when they were snake-bitten and sick when they looked and found that they were perishing, when they looked upon the serpent, they wouldn't perish but have life. And Jesus has now taken that further. The symbol of their suffering is no longer the snake in the camp who bit them. It's man. It, it becomes us. The, the man Jesus lifted up, crucified for us. The, the, the ones who broke faith, the, the ones who sinned, the ones who wander, the ones who complain. And we left that path, but God calls us to a place of healing. See, the seduction of the serpent brought Adam and Eve and all of their offspring into sin. The serpent no longer needed to bite each one. We, we just bought into that first lie of don't believe God, disobey God, seek your power, your pleasure, your provisions, your way. All leading to our own pride, all leading to the belief that we can do this ourselves. But Jesus becomes sin for us, like, like the serpent put on the pole, planned by God like the serpent, lifted up for our healing like the serpent. Look in faith, prepare and focus. Know your own desperation, a wilderness around you that sinful people like us have created. Toxins within you, your own tumultuous sinful heart, your passions driving you every which way. And yet God tells us as we look at our sin and the world's sorrow that we've made to only be silent and to look with faith at the symbol of our suffering, a man lifted up for our sins. Our sin on him, his faithfulness in death brought us life. And it's his resurrection that reminds us that there is, was, and will only be one who diligently followed God in all that he said, to know constantly God the healer. And that we can call on his name, Jesus, and know that in Christ, regardless of our wilderness, regardless of the emptiness around us, regardless of the snake bite, regardless of the sin and poison within us, we can know intimately only through that, the Lord, your healer. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you for the hard lessons of the wilderness for time stripping us bare of everything that we rely on so that we can finally see you clearly again. Oh Lord, as we call on you, help us to, to breathe behind each name, we would say, Jesus, the Lord, our healer. Father, we pray that you would help us to find ways to, to leave the wilderness path that has left us wandering, frustrated, and injured, 
and to give us clear sight again at that man lifted upon a cross for our sins and that you would again help us to see the story of us, our sin, but never divorced from the Lord, our healer. For the one crucified was given eternal life who he's called us to be with him in. Father, we lift up these prayers and these praise in the name of Jesus. Amen.